Hello. This is For All Time. Uh, episode 20. And uh, we're just taking, taking a little trip. Episode 20, time and date, Friday, April 1st, 2.12 p.m. Something goes as long as we go. Take a seat. <sighs> Amazon Air. Operations at multiple Florida airports continue to grow. This is in the news press, uh, Sunday, March 27th, 2022. In 2015, Amazon needed a cargo facility to support its first air operation in Florida. The company reached out to Lakeland Linder International Airport, which couldn't make it happen, and so Amazon turned to Tampa. We were like, oh no, we just missed a great opportunity, former executive director Gene Conrad said. After Amazon initially reached out in 2015, Conrad realized the airport had great bones. An 8,500-foot runway air traffic control, and 106 developable acres. He immediately called the Florida Department of Transportation to prepare a business plan for the airport. He applied for and received grants and ordered an environmental assessment. Editor's note, this is a part of an ongoing series of stories on the impacts of Amazon's rapid growth in Florida, covering effects on real estate, small business, the job market, politics, and more. And if you'd like to know more, you can continue to work yourself backwards through the podcast where I have covered other articles in the series. And I think that this is the most worthwhile thing the news press has done in a long time, or the USA Today Network down here in Florida, should I say, I suppose, the Gannett Network. Um, and I think this is worth highlighting. Yeah, I said recently on another podcast that maybe I was giving them a little bit of disrespect, but have given big respect for this. Anyway. When Amazon circled back to Lakeland in late 2017, Conrad was ready, and by mid-2019, construction on the Amazon site was underway. During the year and a half that Amazon vetted Lakeland, the airport had to adjust its ramp layout to make construction feasible. But Conrad was more than happy to do it. We did that for them because we had to make it fit for their use and needs and what they were going to want to build there, said Conrad. 
who has since left the airport to become president and CEO of the Aerospace Center for Excellence and Sun and Fun Aerospace Expo. The Amazon Air Suite, which is coming up on an expansion, is the third Amazon facility in Lakeland. We have about 3 million square feet around Lakeland now. That is Amazon square footage. 3 million square feet, Mayor Bill Mutz said. And I would expect to see that continue to grow. Even though Amazon Air isn't nearly the biggest operation at Lakeland Linder, its presence still, quote, raises the bar, Conrad said. The fact that one of the largest companies in the world wants to do business with the relatively small airport, quote, speaks volumes for not only the airport, but our region. Warehouses, business owners, and real estate brokers follow where Amazon leads, Conrad added. That effect is true even at the larger Florida airports where Amazon Air has a presence, Miami International Airport and Tampa International Airport. Where Amazon Air is stationed, the company is driving competition in the e-commerce industry, boosting the status of local airports, driving home the importance of domestic cargo, page 16A. So let's get the 16A even in this thing. It's... Uh, cargo operations enforcing infrastructure investments to address increased traffic and influx of employees. All right. <clears throat> what is Amazon Air? Here we go. Amazon Air is the company's air cargo network that can deliver packages over long distances at a faster pace than via traditional uh, the traditional trucking industry, according to Amazon spokesperson Owen Torres. The Amazon Air fleet has more than 100 leased and owned aircrafts and flies across the U.S. and Europe, Torres said in an email. There are two types of Amazon Air sites, Air Gateways and Regional Air Hubs. Gateways are the smaller of the two, which have, quote, ramp space for our aircraft to park and unload and reload packages, Torres said. Regional Hubs, meanwhile, have dedicated to Amazon facility with on-site package processing and sometimes sorting capability. So there's like uh, robot uh, shelves and stuff. Amazon Air currently operates in three places across Florida. Two gateways at Miami International Airport and Tampa International Airport and its regional hub at Lakeland Linder. According to a report by CNBC, Amazon Air now operates out of 42 U.S. airports. Okay. <clears throat> Amazon Air. This is this is a corporation essentially with like a, a non-combat air force. Non-combat. Um... of the U.S. population lives within 100 miles of an Amazon Air facility, a 16% increase over the numbers in May 2020, according to a study from the DePaul University's Chaddock Institute for Metropolitan Development. Amazon Air is currently undergoing a major expansion at Lakeland Linder, just over a year and a half after its operations launched in July 2020, and the company grew from occupying 30,000 to 91,959 square feet in just three years at Miami International Airport. How much of the airport is left? But in Amazon Air, as Amazon Air continues to grow, space is limited. If the company wants to expand its air cargo operations in Florida, it's going to have to start looking elsewhere as space at all three of its current stations is essentially maxed out, at least currently. Torres said Amazon would not comment on its future plans 
or footprint. However, Amazon Air operations in Florida. (laughs) Though its regional hub is in Lakeland, Amazon Air has its roots at Tampa International Airport. Since moving into Lakeland, Amazon's operations have fallen at Tampa. TPA spokesperson Emily Nips said in an email on coverage in 2019, uh, said in an email, pardon me, on average. In 2019, Amazon carriers conducted 2,074 operations at TPA, Tampa Airport, a number that grew to 2,471 operations in 2020. What is that? 2015. 15% 15% increase, something like that. But in 2021, there was a slide reducing operations to just 1805 on average, which would then be almost a 30% drop. In total, Amazon, 25. Amazon occupies 303,200 square feet of space via four other companies. Interesting. In total, Amazon occupies 303,200 square feet of space via four other companies. So much like their uh, real estate investments I discussed earlier, uh, it would seem that they are also using other companies and then leasing them through them, essentially, would be my guess. One arrangement or the other, really, doesn't matter. Um, And using other companies as a footprint. It really makes me think a lot about uh, service companies and what will happen to them when Amazon finally tries to take on the service industry which I don't um, look forward to. In total, Amazon occupies 303,200 square feet of space via four other companies. Between lease payments, privilege fees, and activity fees, Amazon pays TPA 30, oh, excuse me, 3.29, well, let's just call it $3.3 million annually. It doesn't even seem like that much, actually. In Tampa, Amazon employs 379 people on average, but that number can uh, fluctuate and peaks between Thanksgiving and the first week of January, Nips said. As the regional hub, Amazon Air at Lakeland Linder employs far more people, 1,200 at its cargo sorting facility, Conrad said. Amazon sits on about 48 acres at the airport right now. It has about 223,000 Oh, that's right. It has a 223,000 square foot building and two smaller buildings that make up about another 60,000 square feet, according to Conrad, which was discussed in that previous article about properties as well. Amazon plans to more than double in size soon, adding another 60 acres to its footprint. Conrad said, according to the environmental assessment, Amazon can construct a building triple the size of its current facility, but the company has not yet revealed its final plans. Amazon conducts 12 arrivals and 12 departures a day. When its expansion is complete in 2027, that number will nearly double to 22 arrivals and 22 departures a day. Between landing fees, fuel fees, payment on the land, and a long-term ground lease, Amazon pays $180,000 a month to the airport. At Miami International Airport, Amazon Air distributes goods to its South Florida marketplace from its uh, from its 91,959-square-foot warehouse through a lease with Stratair Aviation Services, a cargo handling company. Don't we love our cargo handling companies, folks? Amazon flies five to six times a week, said MIA spokesperson Amir Pineda. When Amazon Air first arrived at the airport in 2018, it flew about three times a week, Pineda said. The company employs about 245 people at that airport. Small size, big competition. When it comes to number of flights and sheer land acquisition, Amazon may not be the dominant force 
at Florida's airports. But the competition is reacting as if it is. Take MIA, for example. While passenger airlines also carry cargo, 80% of the top of the column domestic cargo at the airport runs on cargo freighters. So 20%. That's interesting to think. 20% of the cargo that Amazon carries is on passenger planes. Right? Is that what I'm reading here? Fascinating. The four main carriers that uh, are in the arena, the cargo arena, are Amazon, DHL, FedEx, and UPS. The 8% number. While Amazon is averaging a flight daily or less, UPS is dominating at about 10 flights a day. DHL and FedEx each do about 20 a week. Uh, Pineda said, Amazon also occupies less physical space than its competitors. Yes, that's why they have uh, so few. But that doesn't mean that the more established companies feel safe. Uh, competition is quite strong. Pineda said they're trying to stay as competitive as they can with people like Prime, which are the new players. That's weird quote. That's inaccurate. Plus, Amazon is relatively new to the airport scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, DHL's largest hub in the country is Miami. It is hard to reach that level in the short time that Amazon has been operating. Pineda said that last year, DHL decided to expand its airport footprint by adding 60,000 square feet to its existing 100,000 square feet of space. FedEx basically doubled its space. UPS is exploring more infrastructure development. At Tampa International, UPS is looking to construct a new facility on the eastern side of the airport. It's important to note that also in this scenario, Amazon owns a significant chunk of UPS and has for a very long time. I don't know about their status on DHL, but I swear they own a little slice of FedEx as well. I just have to wonder at one point, we're going to start to see the uh, the M&A start happening here. You know what I mean? Um, at what point, instead of just doing the obvious, which is combining all these things together and nationalizing them or whatever, makes sense to me. But I'm no expert. But I will say that uh, that's not probably what's going to happen. The opposite will happen, which is probably one company will end up owning a majority of every market space. Um, but here's just another example of one. And this is happening close to home, and that's why I'm reading about it. So anyway, let's continue. At Tampa International, UPS is looking to construct a new facility on the eastern side of the airport. Pineda said the rush to expand is driven by an explosion in e-commerce, reflected in record numbers of domestic cargo operations at Miami International. Our domestic numbers have been double-digit for at least three to four years, Pineda said, and all of that is contributed directly to e-commerce. MIA went from processing 2.3 million tons of cargo in 2020 to 2.7 million in 2021, while the data doesn't separate e-commerce numbers from regular domestic tonnage. Pineda said the majority of the 19.2% increase can be attributed to the e-commerce demands, an area Amazon excels in globally, despite its size. Pineda said Amazon accounts for roughly a quarter of the airport's e-commerce expansion. All right. I think Amazon's had a huge impact at the airport. I think they have driven home the importance of e-commerce. It has spurned competition, Pineda said, and I think that they're going to continue to expand here at the airport. Yes, he agrees. Our assessment lines up. All makes sense and sounds right. Amazon secures future for Lakeland Linder. At Lakeland Linder, Amazon Air accounted for just 8,000 of the 131,000 flights the airport oversaw in 2021. That's 8 into 131. Do the math. 
And yet, with the addition of more than 1,000 jobs, expected to grow to 2,000 plus, and with 150 million in capital investment, Amazon has made an uh, Amazon has had massive effects on the airport. 150 million dollar capital investment. Yes, I wonder what the uh, over under on the the the. <laughs> what do you think, uh, dear listener? What the over under on the airport getting fucked over on that deal is the 150. Uh, giant lump sum that the airport probably needed just to like keep you know janitors from making the bathroom not look like a crime scene um (sighs) i'm sorry just just telling you the truth lakeland mayor mutz said the income amazon provides is very significant I didn't even read that part yet. Amazon had also accelerated Federal Aviation Administration support for the airport, Mutz said, which had allowed Lakeland Linder to enable planes to basically land blind. Cool. Uh, I don't think approach mode is like a new tech, but uh, that's cool. Lakeland Linder is fully leased out, and every time one tenant departs, another lines up to take its place. The airport has grown from 800 to 3,000 employees since 2010 and brings in $11 million in revenue today compared to $3.5 million 12 years ago, Conrad said. Conrad and Mutz agreed. Amazon's presence at the airport is a draw for other companies, not a conflict, because carriers being... Oh. Hmm. Here's the logic. It's like... Conrad and Mutz agreed. Amazon's presence at the airport is a draw for other companies, not a conflict, because carriers bring other carriers. And clearly it just works forever. Amazon helps us just to give the stability a... Uh, hmm. Bad sitch. Amazon helps us to just... This is a quote. Amazon helps us to give us the stability to be certain that will grow accordingly. Mutz said, certainly it sustains what their needs will be at our airport, appropriately, as well as other air carriers. In short, even if Amazon doesn't have the largest investment footprint or even contribute to the most revenue at the airport, it brings another selling point. Putting Lakeland, quote, on the map. That's a phenomenon that began well before Amazon Air's launch. Okay, so let's add one more layer to the map. Amazon is coming in and giving all the money to all the airports that need money because they've been, I don't know, probably underfunded in some capacity. Would be my main guess. Uh, At least beyond what they need to operate correctly in today's world of modern aircraft. Amazon comes in, fills the gaps, makes friendly, and then when they ask for the extra space for their cargo distribution facilities, it's like done, done, done. Like, it's already a foregone conclusion at that point, because, like, not only did you come and rescue us, and we're, like, looking for, to have the Amazon seal of approval at our airport that, oh, shit, like, Amazon lands at the air? Oh, so, like, DHL coming into this spot has never been in before. No big deal. FedEx getting in over here, this, like, regional hub that it was never at before, now they're getting more space. Oh, now, uh, you know, uh, UPS, UPS is gonna, like, share space with, uh, Amazon. Just thinking out loud. In 2014, (laughs) let me back up. Let me give you the subhead. A huge win for Lakeland. In 2014, Amazon opened a 1 million square foot warehouse on County Line Road in Lakeland. 
There's also a 713,000 square foot delivery center on State Road 33. Elsewhere in Polk County, there are two smaller fulfillment centers in Auburndale and Davenport. In terms of competition, Amazon had it somewhat easy in Lakeland, as there are no UPS or FedEx fulfillment centers. There is a DHS fulfillment center that handles orders for Swedish furniture company IKEA, and uh, said Ashley Cheek, Ashley Cheek, Vice President of Business Development at the Lakeland Economic Development Council. Cheek said Amazon's initial arrival was a, quote, huge win for Lakeland. Quote, it really put Lakeland on the map from a national perspective, Cheek said. This was back in 2014 when Amazon was becoming more of a household name, she said. Amazon's arrival on County Line Road fell in line with an ongoing transformation in the area from a former agricultural stronghold to Warehouse Central. Chris Rumpf, a warehouse nursery owner who moved his business from County Line Road to Plant City in October after nearly 30 years at his previous previous location, said he thought the evolution of County Line really kicked off with Amazon. Kicked off was in quotes. Cheek said the area was changing before Amazon's arrival. Lakeland already had a strong logistics industry and four other one million square foot warehouses. I'd like to know what those were. And County Line Road's proximity to I-4 makes it a strong location for warehouses. Plus, Amazon employs about 2,000 people in Lakeland compared to about 8,000 employed by Publix, Cheek said. Hmm. Fascinating. But that doesn't mean Amazon had no effect. People and businesses were curious about why such a big name would move into Lakeland. We've attracted a number of e-commerce companies that have also come to this area, Cheek said. Once Amazon came here, Walmart located to the Davenport area. It's a household name. Growth drives infrastructure needs. Through its three Lakeland facilities, Amazon has attracted a good chunk of employees, and its presence, or the Amazon effect, has driven up the competition, leading to further expansion of an already booming warehouse and logistics industry. The influx of people has worsened. Hmm, okay. I, the influx of people has worsened an issue for Lakeland. It's housing shortage. Lakeland is in need of 5,000 housing units, Mutt said, across all categories of affordable housing. All categories affordable housing, workforce housing, market rate housing, single family, and multifamily housing. That's a serious problem. Mutz wants to see those unit types spread throughout Lakeland rather than, quote, just splotched in one area. Yeah, that would make sense. And as Lakeland eyes the concentration of employees near the airport working for companies like Amazon, Geico, and Publix, the city is also changing the way it thinks about large housing developments. That does make sense now. One of those other million square foot uh, places is the Publix distribution facility. Um, Hadn't thought about that. Hadn't connected the dots. To reduce traffic, you want people to be able to live near where they work. Mm-hmm. Yes, this all makes sense. Increased housing near the airport poses its own problem. As Amazon prepared to double in size, Lakeland residents expressed anger and frustration with increased jet noise as a result of the e-commerce giant's operations. Conrad said there's no way to eliminate the noise problem, but he is working on mitigating it. Quote, it's never over. It's a daily activity for us, Conrad said. But, you know, at the same time, the airport, the plans have always been for the airport to develop and to have a larger aircraft, uh, larger aircrafts flying in and out. There's no perfect solution. There's always going to be an impact. 
Lakeland Linder wants to eventually start detailing. Uh, hmm. They want to start dealing in commercial flights. Mutz sees Polk County as the perfect location for the Central Florida Corridor. I'm going to adjust the lighting. Live to tape. Live to tape. We are going to have growth at this airport to continue for the next 30 years, inevitably because of the fact that Tampa and Orlando's airports are nearly full of the gates already, Mutt said. Housing isn't the only problem. Employees in the area also need places to eat, hence the urgency for a new restaurant at Lakeland Linder. And any increase in people and the cars they drive means roads have to get addressed. In Lakeland, that means Pipkin, Waring, and Yule Roads, as well as the Wabash Corridor. Airport Road could also use some attention. Growing pains aren't new for Lakeland, or even all of Polk County. The Lakeland-Winter Haven metro area is one of the fastest growing in the nation. It's more than just Amazon, Mutt said. We are growing as a city in so many areas, and by virtue of our location, we'll have increased pressure to do so. MIA is also staring down future infrastructure needs. Because Amazon is driving its competitors to expand, the airport is running out of room for its cargo operations. The airport is looking to invest $2 billion to $8 billion in cargo over the next three to five years, Pineda said. The goal is to build a vertical facility that can handle 2 million tons of cargo. Even if Amazon isn't included in that facility, space freed up by other carriers moving into that space can be used for an Amazon expansion. Pineda speculated that Amazon will eventually use its Miami location as a hub to ship goods to Latin America, mostly because, quote, why would you come to Miami and not fly international? They plan to grow, and Miami is part of that, Pineda said. Whether that particular vision comes to fruition or not, and growth is going to drive infrastructure improvements at the airport. Will grow, uh, with growth comes more traffic congestion. With growth comes more traffic, comma, congestion, period. Weird. There's more Amazon trucks on the road. You hear of those types of complaints, Pineda said. I love those types of complaints because that's telling me that there's growth in the market. Where to next? Amazon won't reveal its plans for the future of Amazon Air in Florida. But if the company has any ambitions of expanding in the state soon, eyes are likely somewhere other than its existing operations. A few years ago, Amazon needed 100 or more acres to expand. That land wasn't available at Tampa, and Amazon Air moved to Lakeland. However, in quotes, that does not mean that Amazon cannot grow at TPA, Nips said in an email. The Aviation Authority would be pleased to entertain conversations with Amazon to expand its operations at TPA, and any future facility would have to make sense for both the airport and for Amazon. I bet you won't accept, Mike sense for the airport in the end. MIA is looking at major investments in its cargo operations because the airport is very close to capacity, Pineda said. I love being very close to capacity. Right now, we have very limited, if any, space available for cargo infrastructure, Pineda said. We are very close to the limit right now. We are very close to capacity, I repeat. And once Amazon finishes its expansion at Lakeland Linder, it will have officially maxed out the airport's available land. And there we go. Wake up. 
Wake the fuck up. <coughs> okay. Here we go. Sunday, March 27th, 2022, the news press, page 4A. Margarita Vale brand keeps growing. Hotel, housing empire, booming across Florida. Rick Neal. Florida Today, USA Today Network, Florida. Like a colorful lineup of tropical cocktails atop a tiki bar, Margaritaville's multifaceted Key West spirited brand of destinations is spreading across Florida. Let me adjust real quick, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a little more appropriate. That's it. Hey! Now we have the right uh, background for uh, Margaritaville brand that keeps growing. We got there. I like it. Thank you for taking the ride with me. Okay. <sighs> Hotel. Housing empire booming across Florida. Like a colorful lineup of tropical cocktails atop a tiki bar, Margaritaville's multifaceted Key West spirited brand of destinations is spreading across Florida. Think hotels in Jacksonville Beach and Anna Maria Sound. Entertainment-centric active adult communities near Panama City Beach and Daytona Beach. A recreational vehicle glamping resort in Auburndale. And even a cruise ship offering Margaritaville at sea between West Palm Beach and the Bahamas. Certainly Jimmy Buffett and Florida go together like peanut butter and jelly, said Joff Lubekerkman, eh. senior vice president with the Tallahassee-based Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association. Quote, we are thrilled to see the investment that Margaritaville is making and growing their brand here in our backyard, Lubekman said. Margaritaville's Sunshine State construction spree will continue with a future hotel resort in Melbourne, offering panoramic views of the Indian River Lagoon. 
Actually here, I believe we call it Melbourne specifically. Like I think it's actually supposed to be said that way. Not that it matters. Say whatever you like. Still in the planning stage, this site will feature a marina, an outdoor entertainment lawn, and two, quote, one-off restaurant concepts, developer Harry Mirpuri said. Another future at Margaritaville, quote, is in the pipeline in Gainesville, said Rick Cunningham, a senior president of development. An undisclosed entity has executed a license agreement and is in the process of securing financing, he said. Undisclosed entity is securing a license agreement. Cunningham declined to discuss further details on the Gainesville-Margaritaville project. The billion-dollar Margaritaville empire touts itself as inspired by the lyrics and lifestyle of singer, songwriter, and author Jimmy Buffett, whose songs evoke a passion for tropical escape and relaxation. The company operates more than 25 hospitality destinations worldwide that are visited by more than 20 million annual travelers. Facilities include resorts, real estate properties, vacation clubs, boutique hotels, RV resorts, restaurants like Landshark Bar and Grill, and Island H2O Live, Water Park in Kissimmee. Margaritaville opened its first Florida hotel in 2010 in Pensacola Beach. Five years later, the company's flagship Margaritaville Hollywood Beach Resort opened with 369 rooms, more than 30,000 square feet of event space. That property reshaped basically Hollywood Beach as a destination. It contains seven of our different restaurants and beverage concepts. So that's really what put us into high gear. As far as other hotel developments, Cunningham said, developers would come and look at that property and say, wow, I'd love to develop one of these, but can't necessarily do it on this scale, he said. In response, Cunningham said that company officials introduced the Compass by Margaritaville brand to offer boutique hotels in smaller cities, such as leisure markets, corporate markets, or college towns. The first Compass by Margaritaville, a six-story, 123-room hotel, opened in July uh, opened in July 2020 on Anna Maria Sound near Bradenton. Future locations are planned in Melbourne, Gainesville, Medford, Oregon, Beaufort, North Carolina, and Louisville, Kentucky. On the nautical front, Margaritaville Paradise, the company's first branded cruise ship, will launch April 30th with trips from Port of Palm Beach to Freeport, Grand Bahama. The ship can carry 1,680 passengers for a Margaritaville at sea getaway. Elsewhere, across the Sunshine State, the past four months. We're going down a bulleted list, folks. A ribbon-cutting ceremony took place in January at Cape Margaritaville RV Resort and Gabbana Cabins in Auburndale. Cunningham called the company's, uh, this the company's glamping experience. Margaritaville Beach Resort, Fort Myers Beach, will feature the... T oh, this is, this is our local one, this, folks. This is our local one. Margaritaville Beach Resort, Fort Myers Beach, which will feature 254 rooms and suites is under construction. Projected opening date, 2023. And the uh, uh, I have to tell you, uh, they're basically taking over... Uh, one of our barrier island cities. At least the uh, one whole section of it. It's unbelievable how much they're destroying to build this place. But, you know, that's our future. So, anyway. Site work is underway with the 13-acre Margaritaville Beach Cottage Resort Panama City Beach featuring single-family homes and cottages for sale on a Bidawee Beach. Bidawee Beach. Hmm. Never heard of that one. Margaritaville Beach House Key West opened on yeah oh in November on Smathers Beach with 186 suites and I wonder what they destroyed to make that 
I hope they enjoy that lagoon-style pool. Quote, we are blessed to have a business environment that is kind of a known quantity that doesn't swing back and forth, Lubrickman said of Florida. I love being having something said of me, or my location. Business hates uncertainty, and the certainty that our public policymakers has given us, has, sick, given us over the past 25 months, has been really important to us hanging on as an industry that was probably the most devastated by the pandemic. Lupkeman said. And giving investors a reason to look forward and to see better days coming, he said. Latitude Margaritaville, Daytona Beach, a 55 and older resort community, will eventually grow to more than 1,200 homes. Cunningham said... And Latitude Margaritaville Watersound, a similar community north of Panama City Beach, developed in tandem with the St. Joe Company, may grow to more than 10,000 homes. We want to be careful that we are placing our properties in the right locations and the right product with the right owner. I'm going to repeat that. We want to make very careful that we are placing our properties in the right locations and the right product with the right owner. Very concerned about what owner moves in. Hmm. And we want to make sure that we're not cannibalizing ourselves, Cunningham said. With quite a grin, I'm assuming. We're already looking at different beach locations for Margaritavilles and then Compass as opportunities come up all over the state, he said. Since November, Melbourne City Hall planners have scrutinized details of the upcoming $60 million to $65 million Compass by Margaritaville project, stated for construction at the vacant Coral Bay Intercoastal Marina property off US-1. The vision has involved to include 146 hotel rooms and suites, a rooftop salty rim bar and grill. I love a salty rim bar and grill. That's an actual name. 221 boat slips a pool with private cabanas, and about 22,000 total square feet of restaurant bar space. Mir Puri said the Melbourne Margaritaville will feature an event lawn anchored by video walls and a stage flanked by surfboards capable of hosting 1,000 to 1,100 spectators for live music, simulcast concerts, and other events. As we open the event lawn, we'll have a talent audition, almost like a Melbourne American Idol, to kind of understand what that local audience is going to want to hear and who they're going to want to see, Mir Puri said. Two new restaurants will also highlight this project. Upstairs will be a more polished, casual dining environment, similar to a Hillstone or a Houston's, but more of the Margaritaville theme, more of the nautical look to it. We're working with the Margaritaville team to incorporate that, your Puri said. Downstairs, we'll have more of a beach casual restaurant, like an elevated Bahama Breeze, he said. This is going to be a one-off. It's going to be a unique location to the brand essentially. We're working with the Margaritaville to create something that's very site-specific and just for Melbourne, if you will. And we know that these kinds of brands come to a life of their own. He said, The project should advance to the Melbourne Planning and Zoning Board and Advisory Body sometime in the near future, Community Developer Director Community Development Director Cindy Dittmer said. Afterward, the Melbourne City Council will cast decisive votes. The addition of a resort-style hotel marina on a long-time vacant property will be a great new asset to the city. It's an exciting project, Dittmer said. 
great new asset for the city, and we're excited about the people that it will draw into the community, she said. Mirapuri, that was an editing mistake, I think. Uh, Mirapuri said she hopes the Melbourne Compass by Margaritaville Complex opens up by the end of 2024. It's kind of a natural connection for us because we obviously have a very large resort in Orlando, in Kissimmee, Cunningham said. And so it makes a natural connection to come over to the Space Coast. Quote, it makes a whole lot of sense because people are going to vacation in Orlando, but they also want to come to the beach, and they also want to explore other things on the Space Coast. Not to mention the growth with the cruise business in Port Canaveral that's going on, he said. And also, the space program. It's taking off, he said. Oof. Boy. Last month, officials announced the inaugural Margaritaville Run series, offering 5K races at five resorts and hotels this year across the country. The schedule includes a September 24th race at Margaritaville Resort Orlando and an October 9th race at Margaritaville Hotel Pensacola Beach. Thank you for sitting through. Just trying to get it all on the record. Just want to get it all out there, see what else other people thinks. And now let me see if I can find, yes, someone's trip through Universal magazine articles I want to get to. But where is my tiger story? Hang on. Let me give you a little extra here. This is me looking for the tiger story. been keeping up with the tiger stories so let's keep up with the tiger stories let's go in chronological order
<coughs> All right. Tiger music. Tiger music. We got it. We found the tiger music. Mm. Now we got funky tiger music. Back to the story. This is from uh, Thursday, March 24th, 2022's News Press. Tiger mauling probed at Ochopi Sanctuary. Wooten's Airborne. Mm. This is written by Amy Bennett Williams, Tomas Rodriguez, excuse me, and Michael Brown. Wooten's airboat tours and law enforcement spent late Tuesday and Wednesday sorting through details as it untangles the circumstances in which one of its tigers mauled a worker. The Ochopi tourist destination said a worker 50 entered the cage without authorization about 4.30 p.m. Tuesday as its 25-year caretaker fed the big cat. The tiger mauled the worker, damaging the man's hands and arms, a post on its website reported. Quote, We are still in the process of reviewing the incident, therefore, we are unable to release any information at this time. The business said through email in response to requests for additional information. Wootens confirmed the female tiger was not injured and remains in the enclosure. Big thumbs up. The mauling was the second in Southwest Florida in fewer than three months. The first on December 29th occurred when an unauthorized contact worker at the Naples Zoo, I believe he was like a, a, a janitor for like the regular guest bathrooms. Um, at Caribbean Garden, Naples Zoo at Caribbean Garden, it stuck his hand through a Malayan tiger's cage in an attempt to feed or pet it. Still no. A Collier Sheriff's deputy killed that tiger.
Echo, was the tiger's name, with a gunshot when it refused to release the man's arm. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you can ask a tiger to do anything, really. Though Wooten's main focus is Everglades adventures in airboats and swamp buggies, animals are part of its draw. Its sanctuary houses native alligators, otters, and turtles, as well as two lions and two tigers. Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission at Collier County Sheriff's Office in Greater Naples Fire Rescue responded to Tuesday's incident. We are having a hard time comprehending this happening again, the Sheriff's Office posted in part on Facebook Tuesday afternoon. A statement from the Wildlife Commission said the agency was conducting an active investigation. We'll release additional information when available, the statement said. Collier County Sheriff's Office said that the FWC is taking lead on the investigation. Wild Appeal The business opened as normal on Wednesday with visitors hailing from around the world. A handful of parties arrived at Wooten's as Wooten's opened its doors at 9am for the daily airboat, airboat tours. By 10am, there were about 50 parties cruising down the canals. George Panessi and Diana Calderon made their way to Wooten's from Argentina. After staff at the hotel they're staying at recommended the attraction. Quote, I think that there are animals. I think that if there are animals, there's a risk, Panessi said in Spanish. Yes, I think that if there are animals, there is a risk. It could have happened today, or 20 years can go by and nothing happens. Both said learning about the incident scared them. <laughs> Gee. Kim Diedrich of Minnesota was at Wooten's with her husband and already had tickets prior to arriving yesterday. Quote, as we were driving to Everglades City, we did see an ambulance and then later on heard there was an incident with the tiger, Diedrich said. We then looked online and found it was there. At that point, we didn't think we would cancel or consider it. <laughs> cool. Dope. Diedrich said they won't even know, they didn't even know there were tigers at the facility. Quote, we didn't even know they had them, Diedrich said. Quote, I was curious to see uh, how it was going to be handled, and it seems like they're not mentioning it. This article is written very strangely. The Coolahan family made their way to Wooten's from Santa Barbara, California. I didn't even know there was tigers here, said the daughter of Paisley Coolahan. Her brother Preston Coolahan agreed. As soon as we heard about it, we were we was just intrigued, Preston Coolahan said. The father, Jeffrey Coolahan, said they learned a lot about the area and that the staff made it clear to them at all times that they had nothing to do with the tiger incident. I would like to make it clear to everyone at all times that I have nothing to do with a the, the or any tiger incidents. He was very clear that it didn't have anything. The guy only knows about the alligators and only does that part of the tour. Cool. Well, well, good thing if you're asking the alligator guy about the tigers, I, I don't think he's going to know about it necessarily, but the incident. The statement posted by Wootens said the worker was taken to Gulf Coast Medical Center in Fort Myers. Lee County EMS Lee Flight Helicopter transported him. There is no public update on the worker as of Wednesday afternoon. Wooten's staff worked with law enforcement to investigate the incident, an online statement said. The Tiger's caretaker, who has worked at Wooten's for 25 years, said the employee was not authorized to enter the Tiger's enclosure or feed the Tiger. Wooten's said it is licensed to care for Tigers by the FWC and the U.S. Department of Agriculture and expressed, quote, our sincere sympathies to our employee and his family and wish him a speedy recovery. 
a piece of old Florida. The attraction was founded in 1953 by amphibian hunter-turned-tourism pioneer Lawrence Wooten. The story guests may hear on one of the airboat rides is that one day a, near, a, car, a car full of Tamiami Trail motorists saw Wooten out on the sawgrass gigging frogs from his airboat and asked for a ride. From that encounter came his first of its kind business. Over the years, it grew from five acres in one boat to more than 250 in a fleet of more than 10. It also now offers swamp buggy rides, alligator wrestling, and a wildlife sanctuary, which houses native Florida animals like bobcats, turtles, and alligators, as well as big cats, class one felids, such as the resident pairs of lions and tigers. In the early 1990s, Raymond's son, Gene, inherited the company. Then in 2013, father-son team, George, and Ashish, Ashish Patel, who already owned an Everglades City Motel and tour company, brought, bought the business while promising to retain its old Florida flavor. Wooten's Big Cats Wooten's is one of three facilities in the county licensed to have tigers and other big cats, according to... Kawaiachobi Animal Preserve and the Naples Zoo. They fit with the old Florida roadside attraction vibe, Mike Thrasher told the new the news press in January, when the first incident occurred. When the former bank president's company bought the venerable Wootens, known for rides through the wild wetlands of South Collier, the business came with two tigers, Boris and Daisy. We're an airboat company. And people don't expect to see big cats in captivity there. <laughs> okay, good way to open. But when we acquired Wootens, we inherited them, Thrasher explained. These are animals that were donated to Gene Wooten or were rescued animals that we took in. For example, we have a white tiger that came from Oklahoma. The gentleman that owned it had cancer and couldn't take care of it anymore. Fortunately for us, there was someone on staff who had all the certifications necessary, Thrasher said. Quote, we get inspected regularly. We have random inspections. You have to be over 1,000 hours to get certified. All your safety protocols have to be in place. We have a vet that comes in several times a year. There's a nutrition plan that you've got to follow, he said. The bottom line is safety, he said, of both the tiger and the people who are the caretakers. You've got an obligation to protect the public and protect your staff to do all the right things to keep everybody safe. No, no one mentioned the tiger. In terms of doing the right things, the Naples Zoo was a role model for Thrasher's attraction. When his business was reworking its enclosures, it looked to the Naples Zoo, Thrasher said. We don't... Oh. We went to the Naples Zoo to study how they did it, he said. We looked at what they had built to upgrade our facilities. Now, he said, there's an eight-foot barrier fence that you'd have to crawl over, and you still can't get in the cage. All right, but that ain't all. Friday, March 25th, 2022. I'm going to read in this order. Report. Victim put hands in cage. Mauled Wooten's worker attempted to pet tiger. Thomas Rodriguez. Naples Daily News. USA Today Network, Florida. 
Collie County Sheriff's Office incident reports identified the Wooten's airboat tour worker mall Tuesday as he attempted to pet a tiger at the tourist attraction. Ignacio Maybe Martinez, 48 of Lehigh Acres, was lying on his back when deputies arrived at Wooten's, according to the report. Dispatchers received a call just after 4.30 p.m. from an employee, Collier County Sheriff's Office records show. Maybe Martinez sustained large open wounds to his forearms. Deputies said he wasn't bleeding. Uh-huh. But his tendons were visible. I'll repeat. Deputies said he wasn't bleeding, but his tendons were visible. They also requested a Spanish-speaking detective to interview the witness and maybe Martinez. Maybe Martinez began to pass out, according to the report, although deputies kept him conscious until medical services arrived. Medical responders took him to the National Park Service helicopter pad, where he flew to Gulf Coast Medical Center in Fort Myers. Records from uh, yesterday's own newspaper, I suppose. Um, yeah, 6A. I just want to see, like, what else is left here. A witness told officials that maybe Martinez entered the outer tiger enclosure. The witness feeding dinner to the tigers when maybe Martinez entered. The witness was feeding dinner to the tigers when maybe Martinez entered and put his hands through the fence to pet a tiger record show. The witness told maybe Martinez to stop what he was doing, but maybe Martinez ignored him, according to the report, before placing his hands through the fence again, according to the report. The tiger grabbed both of maybe Martinez's arms with his mouth and briefly held them before releasing him, according to the report. The tiger is fine. The witness said he separated maybe Martinez from the fence and placed him on the ground. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission now leads the Wooten's investigation. On December 29th, a member of an after-hours cleaning crew at Naples Zoo made its made it past barriers at a tiger's cage. Exactly. The employee, River Rosenquist, stuck his arm through the tiger's cage. The tiger, eight-year-old Echo, was shot and killed. Following that, same day, tigers can't be tamed. Big cat advocate Baskin on the dangers of captivity. Amy Bennett Williams, Naples Daily News, USA Today Network, Florida. Person inside a tiger cage while the animal was eating? Terrible idea, says big cat advocate Howard Baskin. On Tuesday, a worker at Wooten's Airboat Tours in Okeechobee entered the outer tiger enclosure feeding, at feeding time and put his hands through the fence to pet a tiger. The Collier County Sheriff's Office said on social media that the worker identified as 48-year-old Ignacio Maybe Martinez of Lehigh Acres went into the enclosure about 4.30 p.m. Tuesday as a caretaker was feeding a big cat. The caretaker told him to stop before placing his hands through the fence for a second time, and the tiger injured both and the tiger injured both of Maybe's arms. In a statement, Wootens said the employee who was bitten was not authorized to be there, and that the female tiger was not hurt and remains in her enclosure. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission is investigating. The attraction has two tigers, COO Mike Thrasher told the news press in January, a male named Boris and a female named Daisy. Baskin is dismayed, but not surprised. At last year's Naples Zoo incident with Malayan Tiger Echo demonstrated tigers are hardwired as predators, said Baskin of Tampa's Big Cat Rescue, who's married to prominent animal rights activist Carol Baskin. On December 29th, Naples Zoo night cleaning crew member River Rosenquist made it past barriers to Echo's cage and stuck his arm through the mesh. The tiger grabbed it, not letting go until a Collier 
sheriff's deputy fired at the cat, killing it. The Collier County Sheriff's Office and the Wildlife Commission investigated. Rosenquist was not charged, even though he defied safety warnings and clearly marked barriers. The zoo's enclosures met all agency safety requirements, and it was not cited for any wrongdoing. In this latest case, Baskin thinks Wootens should face consequences. Quote, I would hope that both USDA and the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission would be citing this place, he said. If the door was open in a way that a man could wander in, that means the door was open in a way that the tiger could have bolted out. Tigers are strongly territorial animals, according to the World Wildlife Fund, requiring large swaths of land up to 40 square miles, and will fight to establish dominance in the wild, or in a enclosure that includes a bunch of people. No one would ever be in an enclosure with a no one should ever be in an enclosure with a tiger, Baskin said, and we really should not be having tigers in cages at all. We should be having we should be working on preserving them in the wild. Feeding should be done through a lockout area or a process where you are not exposed to the tiger, he said. But for anyone to step inside while the cat is eating, Baskin said it is very predictable that a tiger would attack them. It is not clear exactly the setup for how the tiger was being fed at Wootens and where the caretaker and the worker were in relation to the animal. But people have accustomed, people accustomed to seeing tigers handled on television get e- easily get the wrong impression, Baskin says. When we see exhibitors, uh, when we see these exhibitors who bring them on TV and give them the impression they can be pets, people think, oh, I can do that. They can't. And the numbers back them up, he says. There have been 700 incidents of one kind or another over the last 20 years, and they just keep happening. It's the nature of dealing with these animals. They are dangerous. The short-term solution, Baskin says, is proposed federal legislation. The Big Cat Public Safety Act, which would stop cub petting and phase out private ownership. With a tiger, human error can easily be fatal. You get one mistake, and it can be deadly when you're dealing with a tiger. People don't understand these animals can't be tamed, Baskin said. This was in uh, Saturday, March 26th Press. To our readers, starting this Sunday, we are no longer publishing television listings in the Tropicalia section of the Sunday News Press. Oh, excuse me. To our readers, starting this Sunday, we are no longer publishing television listings in the Tropicali section of the Sunday News Press. We have chosen the TV Weekly magazine to replace our television listings. TV Weekly is a subscription magazine available to customers at a discounted rate off the cover price. It includes channel guides, puzzles, sports listings, horoscopes, and movie guides. There will be a free sample of TV Weekly, a certain Sunday's newspaper. Subscription information will be included. For more information about a subscription, call 
flocking to Florida. Florida. Everyone's flocking to Florida. Flocking to Florida. Census Bureau ranks Lee as ninth fastest growing county in U.S. By Dan DeLuca, Fort Myers Press, USA Today Network. It's not your imagination. Southwest Florida is getting more crowded. Lee County was the ninth fastest growing county in the U.S. last year, according to data released by Thursday. Uh, Thursday by the Census Bureau. Lee's population increased 23,297 people between July 2020 and July 2021. Arizona's Maricopa County, which includes Phoenix, ranked first among U.S. counties, adding more than 58,000 people. Of the nation's top 10,000 counties in net population gain, half were in Texas. Besides Lee, Florida had one other county in the top 10, Polk County, which includes Lakeland, ranked 7th with more than 24,000 new residents. Collier County added 8,901 new residents in the past year, 12th most amongst Florida's 67 counties. As of July 1st, 2021, the estimated total population of Lee and Collier counties was about 1.17 million people. How about that? Lee ranked, we have 1.2 million people here. It's wild. Lee also ranked first among Florida counties and net migration gain. Page 9, right here. Last year, adding nearly 27,000 people who moved to the county from other states or counties. Miami-Dade County ranked ninth among U.S. counties in that population decline losing 38,990 people. Los Angeles County saw the largest decline at more than 184,000 people. The census data also showed the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Nationally, more than 73,000, I don't know where I was going with that, more than 73% of the U.S. counties showed a natural decrease, which means that deaths outnumbered births. This was up from 55.5% in 2020 and 45.5% in 2019. In Florida, 54 of the state's 67 counties had a natural decrease in population, including both Lee and Collier counties. While that's nothing new locally, with Lee and Collier both positing natural decreases. Posting or positing? Posting. 
Well, that's nothing new locally. With both Lee and Collier posting natural decreases from 2017 to 2020, the number of deaths rose in both counties last year, increasing 12% in Lee to 9,861 and 11% in Collier to 4,761. Overall, Lee had 3,184 more deaths than births in 2021, while Collier had a natural population decrease of 1,725. COVID-19 played a significant role in these death increases. As of March 10th, 2,106 Lee residents and 980 Collier residents have died of COVID-19 since the onset of the pandemic in March 2020, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Florida's natural decrease in population of 45,241 was the largest for any U.S. state last year. Close to 72,000 Florida residents have died of COVID-19 since the pandemic began. The overall population gains, both statewide and locally, were due to increases in net migration. Florida led all U.S. states with a net migration gain of more than 259,000 people. While Lee led all other state counties in net migration, Collier was 14th with 10,724. Miami-Dade lost the most people through migration of any Florida county with more than 30,000 residents leaving. One more. Waste Profile Suit Against Cape Coral by Louis Zambrano, Fort Myers News Press. Let's get a little uh, Waste Pro music here. Waste. We're gonna deal with it in a controlled way. Not the waste, but our public relations issues through the press. If you made it this far, thank you. Waste Pro. The city of Cape Coral's embattled trash hauler has filed a lawsuit against the city alleging breach of its contract. The suit seeks to overturn the city's assessment of more than 1.1 million in penalties for missed rubbish collections. The company also alleges the city did not pay the full amount Waste Pro claims was due for the month of December 2021 for collection of yard waste. Cape Coral and Waste Pro entered into a contract in 2010 that named the company as the exclusive waste services provider. The contract runs until September 20th, 2027. The bulk of penalties were due to the alleged missed household pickups. And the contact between Waste Pro and the city also provides for administrative penalties. In March 2021, the city started having problems with garbage, recycling, and bulk items pickup as residents complained about missed pickups. I wonder who any of those residents were. Administrative charges were levied by the city starting at 250 per missed collection, escalating between March 26th and May 31st to $750 for some missed collections. By the end of May, the city's assessment increased to $500 for each of the 2,177 complaints the city said it had received, and $750 for an additional 124 complaints, according to the suit. 
The complaint filled by Waste Pro, should say filed, the complaint filed by Waste Pro goes on to state that the city disproportionately charged administrator fees for each location rather than assessing the fee for failure to correct collect an entire route. Okay, so we're going uh, piecemeal, but it was a disaster and it's been that way for a couple years at least. All right. Waste Pro said the per home penalty was not part of its contract. A complaint regarding the miscollection of a single location is not an incident for which the city may assess liquidated damages, the lawsuit states. The company said that because the assessed damages to the city are not accurate, the penalties are unenforceable. The liquidated damages assessed by the city during the 2021 the year of 2021 bear no relationship to any actual damages that it would suffer from any alleged breaches by WastePro, and they are imposed to penalize WastePro to generate a financial windfall for the city or both the state states. WastePro is asking for a trial by jury. Last October, Cape Coral City Council rejected WastePro's payment offer to settle the dispute about administrative fees outside of court. Both WastePro and the city of Cape Coral were not available for comments about the lawsuit, citing policies not to comment on pending litigation. Cape Coral City Council approved hiring outside counsel to explore the city's options regarding WastePro earlier this month on March 2nd. Attorney Christopher Stein with the law firm Shoemaker, Loop, and Kendrick, LLP, said the city has started an investigation into the claims made by WastePro. We had an opportunity to look at the complaint and we'll be following up with the city's officials in the coming days to develop our strategy going forward, Stein said. Stein also said WastePro admitted some of the concerns residents had with the company's performance regarding trash pickup. Quote, the disappointment I have as a council is that it takes this type of escalation on WastePro's part to do something that we would have hoped had been done months ago. And that is to provide assurances that they are addressing the performance issues, i.e. picking up the motherfucking goddamn garbage. We obviously owe it to the city of Cape Coral and to the officials with whom we are working to diligently drill down into this thing and to take a thorough investigation to find out what's going on with WastePro, Stain said. And I may, I may add one more time, if I have not mentioned it before, that they offer zero explanation at all for why they are not doing the job correctly. WastePro has never explained at all, under any circumstances, under any conditions, in any context at all, an explanation for why, like, they just don't pick up things sometimes. They've never explained it. They've never said, hey, we're short on staff, we're this, we're that, not enough trucks, maintenance, nothing. They've never said why. So, I don't know. I just, I just love private organizations, uh, private companies dealing with cities and doing them dirty. That's just some fucked wild shit. New Mexico, Santa Fe. This is in USA Today. March 29th, Tuesday. Marijuana aficionados and entrepreneurs are bracing for state-of-the-art regulated retail marijuana Friday. Today. I hope you're all enjoying it out there. Let's change this pad. Let's go a little...
Actually, I know what we need. Learn from my missteps at Universal. Bring extra shoes, snacks, and a lot of patience. Eve Chen, USA Today. I was not prepared for my most recent trip to Universal Orlando Resort. I visited Universal Studios Florida and Universal's Islands of Adventure numerous times growing up in Florida and traveled there as an adult. But it had been a few years since my last trip. There's a lot I didn't remember or expect, even as someone who covers parks for a living. For anyone who has never visited the parks or hasn't gone in a long time, please learn from my mistakes and pack these things for a smooth and dry trip. Your travel companions will thank you. One, pack comfortable shoes. Unlike Disney World, where guests generally have to take some sort of transit between parks, you can walk from Hollywood Studios to Epcot. You can easily walk between Universal Studios Florida and Islands of Adventure. Guests who purchase two park tickets may find themselves traversing both parks multiple times in a day. There's quite a distance to cover before ever even getting to the parks if you're not staying on property. Universal City Walk stands between the parks and the massive parking structure where guests either park or are dropped off. Unless you're staying at one of Universal Orlando's hotels, you'll have to walk through the entertainment complex to get to the parks. I packed two pairs of shoes, sneakers and Crocs, but managed to get several blisters because neither pair were broken in enough, and I didn't have nearly enough band-aids. But first, aid is available at the parks. snacks and water. Food can get really expensive really fast. My family of five spent $110 on lunch, while the Wizarding World at <laughs> the Wizarding World of Harry Potter's three broomsticks. And just as much, if not more, on snacks. I didn't realize we could bring our own snacks. Picnic lunches are prohibited, so I mistakenly assumed other outside food would be too. Guests are allowed to bring in small snacks, and any foods required for special dietary or medicine needs, baby food, and formula. I wish I had packed chips or cookies to curb my kids' ever-present munchies between meals. Some treats such as seasonal Mardi Gras beignets and butterbeer were worth the splurge, but a churro that cost as much as a fistful of them at Costco made me a little bitter, even with the sugar coating and chocolate dipping sauce. At least I thought to bring in a water bottle to save on drinks. Water can be refilled at water fountains 
throughout the parks. Ice tap water is available for free where fountain drinks are sold. Three. Pack a change of clothes. There are ample opportunities for kids of all ages to get wet at both parks. My kids are a little too old to splash around the fountains at Toon Lagoon, and Curious George goes to town in Woody Woodpecker's Kid Zone, so I figured we would be fine without extra clothes. I did not expect every inch of me to get soaked on Popeyes and Bluto's Bilge Rat Barges, one of several water rides at the parks. Thankfully, it was our second to last attraction of the day, but it was not a fun feeling, and looking like a wet rat afterwards did not complete the sentence. If you don't want to slosh around and com- come prepared with a change of dry clothes or be ready to p- pay a premium for branded clothing at just about any gift shops. Yeah, so, yeah, buy your branded clothing. That's what they want. And then we're going to do a little bit of those. Packing one bag. This is number four. A number of popular rides, including Jurassic World Velocicoaster and Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey, do not allow any loose articles on board. This includes cell phones, sunglasses, wallets, purses, and backpacks. Guests must check these items in the free lockers provided for the duration of the attractions. I didn't remember this, so anytime this was required, everyone in our party had to empty out every pocket. It wasn't a big deal, but we would have saved time if we had kept everything together in one or two bags we can slide in and out of lockers with ease. It helps to start the day with extra room in your bag if you plan to buy souvenirs. Five. Pack your patience. There will be lines and crowds. There's no getting around them unless you have a Universal Express Pass, starting at $79.99 per person. Unless you're staying on property and it's free. Or pay for the VIP tour experience, which starts at $189 per person. Time is money, especially at theme parks, where waits can top well more than an hour per ride. But I was not paying $400 for an Express Pass for our family of five. Instead, I maximize our time by consulting the Universal Orlando app to look up times on attractions throughout the day. When waits were too long, such as for Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket, which made my middle child pine, which my middle child pined for all day, I tried to spin it as something to look forward to next time. I made a point to celebrate that we were able to what we were able to enjoy and tried to instill that gratitude in my kids. The trip was a generous Christmas gift from my in-laws. My husband and I paid for our own transportation, food, and souvenirs. Everything was paid for out of pocket, and USA Today does not accept free press trips anymore. I said. There you go. That's uh That's that's what we got today. Although, I will say this. If you've listened this far, please listen to uh, the other podcast, Reality Issues. I'll continue to talk about both on both. 
and uh, thank you very much for listening.